following is message number six of a Southeast Blending Conference held in Jacksonville, Florida on September the 4th of 2006. The title of the message is The Three Aspects of the Lord's Recovery, Part 3, The Practice of the Church. The speaker is Brother Ron Kangas. We have emphasized repeatedly and actually strongly that the Lord's recovery is the Lord's move to bring his people back to the beginning so that through them he might fulfill his original intention. So here we have a few things. God had an intention. And the fact that his people need to be brought back to the beginning, that is to God's initiation and revelation, indicates there has been departure, loss, damage. And the Lord's move to bring his people back to the beginning is what we mean by recovery. In the beginning, the Lord revealed his heart's desire, his eternal purpose. And then he intended that his people would meet as the churches, local expressions of the body of Christ, to carry out his purpose. But due to the deceit and the lies and the work of the enemy, God's people have been distracted from Christ. They have been divided. The truth has been either lost or misunderstood and misapplied. The divine life has been ignored. So there's no way for God to carry out his original intention in such a degraded situation. Therefore, the Lord has a recovery. He has been working through the centuries to bring his people back to the beginning so that through them he might fulfill his original intention. Now we need to state clearly and explicitly what God's original intention was. God's original intention is to have a corporate man to express him in his image and to represent him with his dominion. This is God's original intention. He said, let us make man. And the fact that this man is male and female indicates this is a corporate man. And this man is in God's image and likeness for God's expression. And God said, let them have dominion. This is to represent God with his dominion. So here we have a corporate man expressing God and representing God. 
a corporate man bearing God's image and exercising God's dominion. This is God's original intention. Humanity was created for this purpose. And the church, which we are considering this morning, has as its purpose the carrying out of God's original intention in this age. Now at this point, I would like to present a question to you. And it is best that this question be answered uh, when it's answered personally and even individually by each one of us. And the question is, have you found the pearl? Have you found the pearl? You. Please note how the question is worded. The word pearl is used. Have you found the pearl? And we may expand the question to say, have you found the one pearl of great value? Maybe you're among that blessed species known as church kid. And your parents are in the church because they found the pearl. And you're here. But now you need to find the pearl. And you need to value the pearl. The question, of course, is based upon the Lord's word in Matthew 13, 45, and 46. Again, the kingdom of the heavens is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. The merchant here is the Lord Jesus, the Son of God. And he is seeking fine pearls. And he finds one pearl of great value. So this merchant knows pearls. He knows faux, meaning false, pearls. He knows what pearl is of great value. When he found one pearl of great value, what did he do? Well, he's righteous, so he didn't 
steal it. He bought it. And there is no indication in the text that he bargained, that he haggled, he tried to get a deal. In his estimation, this was the unique pearl of great value. So he sold all that he had and bought it. Now in your human life, have you ever sold all that you had to buy anything? I I doubt. Let's say you found the one Porsche of great value (laughs) to you. Would you sell everything you have to somehow get the funds to buy it? Of course, today you just finance it for seven years. If you can make the payments on a Porsche. Or you found such a nice house in southern Florida uh, with hurricane protections built in. (laughs) Even anti-flood insurance. And you, 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 you want that house. And you're willing to consider, how can I purchase it? But this merchant sold all that he had. The pearl, as the notes make clear, signifies the church. Produced out of the waters through the oyster, secreting life juice around a grain of sand, that was wounding it. And the sea signifies the Gentiles, the land signifies the Hebrews. This is the church. And the Lord obtained the church for the kingdom. His real goal is the kingdom, but to have the kingdom, he must have the treasure, which in Its first application is Israel. And he must have the pearl, which is the church. And the two together will be the kingdom in the coming age and will be the new Jerusalem in eternity. Where did he sell all? Surely it was on the cross. Everything was spent He poured out his life's blood to obtain the church. Paul speaks of this in Acts 20, 28. The church of God, which he purchased, which he obtained through his own blood. This is the value the Lord Jesus places Upon the church. He sees it as a pearl. Of great value. And the only way to obtain it. Is to sell 
all that you have to buy it. This is how Christ feels about the church. Now, last night, I believe we saw with some clarity that the Lord Jesus lived a God-man life by setting aside his natural human life and living the divine life, even God himself, in his humanity, thereby expressing God and manifesting God. And part of his God-man life led him to the cross in obedience to the Father's will. Now Jesus is living again. Christ lives in me. Are those words with you since last night? Aren't you glad you're a new me? So Christ lives. And we may have a concept of his living. We may limit it to, oh, he's loving and he's gracious and he's kind and he serves. All of that is definitely true. But part of his living, perhaps the greatest part, has the church in view. And as he lives again in us, he produces in us a realization regarding the church. And eventually, we find the pearl. That is, we see the church according to the divine reality. And we appreciate it. We recognize it. And we also become clear, this is not a cheap thing. You don't go and come as you please if you want to live in the church life. But the pearl is so precious to you that whatever it takes to have this pearl, to be a part of this pearl, to contribute to the building up of this pearl, you gladly pay it. Hebrews 12 tells us that when the Lord was on the cross, despising the shame, there was a joy set before him. To be sure, this joy must be the church, his body, his bride, the coming kingdom, the new Jerusalem. If you have found the pearl, if you have seen it, not just heard about it, not just received the testimony of others concerning it, but you have found the pearl, then immediately you treasure it, you appreciate it. It's one pearl of great value. Then 
by the Lord living in you, you are willing to sell all whatever you have. That is why, in practicality, when some meet the church, and where they are, there is no church life, they relocate. They uproot themselves and relocate. If you've got teenagers, the teenagers, of course, will protest and cry, especially if they're girls. And we care for them. They'll be in a new school, a new situation. But you found the pearl. You just can't live in Malibu alone anymore. You got to move. You want to be in the daily churching life. So this is simply an outward illustration. So I look to the Lord that not only this morning, but in the days and whatever time to follow, the Lord will use this word to cause many to find the pearl. If the church is not a pearl to you, a treasure to you, and if you have not paid any price to be part of this pearl, it will be very hard for you to be built up. And eventually, you may be sifted out of the church life. You're, you never got built in intrinsically. You're here for some reason, but there's always some reserve some holding back, some distance, something kept for yourself. Sometimes in a couple, the brother sees the church and he's frustrated his whole life because the wife is holding back. And to be fair, sometimes it's the other way around. The Christ, who is living again in us, his God-man life, is a church-treasuring Christ. A church-loving Christ. He sold all that he had and bought it. When I touched the Lord's recovery in September 1966, The Lord, in a living way, opened up two little portions from the New Testament, and the Spirit applied them to me. The first was John 14. In my Father's house are many abodes. I go to prepare a place for you. And instantly my spirit knew the Father's house is the church. And my place, prepared by the Lord, is here. I belong here. By that time, I had left Christianity entirely. My wife and I literally moved in our little vehicle 
from our temporary situation outside New York City, move cross country to California because of the Lord's leading. And we left not knowing where we were going. Then we touched the church in San Francisco. And we saw the truth through the ministry. And the Lord showed me through the word by the Spirit, this is the Father's house. Your place is here. Welcome home. Then the other portion was these verses. The pearl of great price. And immediately my spirit knew the pearl is the church. And I must pay the price required by the Lord to be in the church life. And by his mercy and grace, I did so. I say again, we do not make the church an issue with fellow believers. It is not profitable. It is not honorable. And I would say it is not necessary. If you have to convince someone by arguing that this pearl is precious, you're wasting your time. If that person hasn't found the pearl, cannot see the pearl, then let the matter be. Fellowship along other lines. If they want to hear your testimony, then give an honest, faithful testimony. You either have found the pearl or you have not. But finding the pearl is only the first step. There needs to be a reaction to this. Selling all that you have to buy it. In our experience, what does this mean? It means whatever the Lord requires of you to be in the church life in a practical way, That's what you do. If you don't pay any price, the church will have no real value to you. In the Lord's view, the pearl and all that he had are actually not equivalent. The pearl far surpasses anything you could pay. On the one hand, along with so many others, I paid some price. On the other hand, I feel that I haven't paid any price. I have the pearl. The Lord just asked me to give up my future. What is that? What's that? The Lord asked me to lay down this. What's that? It's nothing. Here's the pearl. 
of great value. And now everything is evaluated according to the pearl. The pearl is the criterion. When I buy a car, this is not only to meet my need, it must be for the pearl. When I get a house, I don't say buy because that may not be possible anymore. It's not just for us, this little family unit, which is now two people and three cats. The cats have come. Okay. My wife's feline companions when her husband is away. The house, the location of the house, the kind of house has to be for the pearl. What are you doing? Living like Gentiles, like common Christians, as if there's no church, no pearl? If I could ever build a house, there would be one or two spare bedrooms. You may think, oh, for your grandchildren. Oh, they might come. It's for the saints. You have to consider the layout. So there's a meeting area for the saints. The dear sister, the kitchen is important. You've got to have an excellent kitchen so she feels comfortable there. But she needs to feel comfortable in the kitchen for the church. Who will go to graduate school for the pearl? Get a Ph.D. for the pearl. I hate the word career. I I refuse to use it positively. I can't relate to it. I don't know what you mean by it. I pity you for pursuing it. But to have a profession, to have a trade, is necessary and commendable. Why don't you be a doctor for the pearl? Luke was. Rick and Blanca scattered they are. Many brothers and sisters are. Have you seen the pearl? Have you found the pearl? The Lord's recovery is the recovery of the pearl. The church. When you find it, and when you pay what the Lord requires of you presently, The price will go up later. Eventually, he'll only ask one thing. Your life. Your soul life. When you find it, when you pay the price, then you know, and the church where you are knows, you are solid in the church life. You mean business here. I mentioned laying down your soul life. I'm not being dramatic. The Apostle John surely knew what he was talking about. 
And in 1 John 3.16, he said, Here is love that the Lord laid down his soul life for us. We also ought to lay down our soul lives for the brothers. There are many dear saints that paid a certain price to be in the church. But they will not lay down their soul life. They live a soul life saving life in the church. And eventually their growth in life stops. Because they love their soul life more than the pearl. So there needs to be a breakthrough where they see the pearl and love the pearl more than their own soul life. That is a characteristic of the overcomers in Revelation 12, 11, is it not? They overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their soul life even unto death. In Acts 20, Paul said, I do not count my soul life as if, as if it were precious, but that I might finish the course. So what you have to sell, so to speak, not literally, but what you, the price you have to pay to obtain the pearl, that will be determined by the Lord. I do not know your situation. I'm not the Lord. We're not here laying any standard on anyone. The church is the pearl of great value. And today, the Lord needs His saints to have a vision of the pearl And one by one, new ones, young ones, any ones, they need to find it. Not just be in a meeting, not just be in a conference meeting, but by being in a conference meeting to find the pearl. Not just see the people. Open the door and see all the people but to see intrinsically the pearl is here of great value. I must be a part of this. So I leave the question with you. I ask the question on behalf of the Lord and representing Him. You're not answerable to me. If you find the pearl, if you have paid the price, eventually the saints will know. You have some transactions with the Lord, and it may not be easy. You may see the pearl, your wife sees nothing. If you're blessed with a wife who lives in simplicity, She'll follow you into the pearl. If not, you'll have to take the way of the cross and say, dear, I love you. 
but I have found the pearl. And I'm going this way. And our house is going this way. And what she does is up to her. Maybe she comes kicking and screaming. That's not too bad. A good fight. Once she's subdued, she'll be very useful. (laughs) Right? We're not afraid of a little kicking and screaming or even a lot. That shows some strength there, some will there. When that one is subdued, and I admit it may take quite a bit for that one to be subdued, then she will be more absolute than her husband. And that's always better. For Priscilla to be more absolute than Aquila is always better. Because then Aquila will never be frustrated by Priscilla. He'll say, dear, could we have the saints? Could we have our house open for the saints once a week? And Priscilla would say, only once? (laughs) I was hoping we could do it. Dear, there's a conference and I'd like to receive some saints for hospitality. Could we receive as many as four? I think we have the room for four. Oh, Aquila, I was hoping for ten. I've been buying food for ten. I've been cooking for a week. Anyway, I believe the Spirit wants us to be impressed with the pearl. If you have found it, you will react one way. If you haven't found it, you'll react another way. No issue. We have found the pearl by the Lord's mercy. We sold all that we had to get it. When Brother Dave Lutz heard about the pearl through his brother, who was influenced by this brother perhaps, he was in a certain place at a certain school. He found the pearl. He knew what he had to do. His wife was one with him in what he had to do. They came to Atlanta to be part of the Pearl. Where they've been for decades now. I don't think they feel that they're heroes, they're martyrs. I found the Pearl. It's only logical, reasonable to give yourself to the Lord for the Pearl. So young people, please don't base your reaction on what your peers are doing. This is between you and the Lord. Between you and the merchant. Maybe some of those closest to you will not treasure this pearl. Many, many 
in my generation. Many brothers who lived with me and my wife when our house was a brother's house are here no more. I felt dismembered when they left. But that's up to them. The pearl is more precious to me this morning than it's ever been in the 40 years I've been here in the Lord's recovery. Oh, precious pearl of the church. Now, I'd like to go to Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, the Lord first asks a question that opens the way for the Father to reveal to Peter that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then in verse 18, the Lord goes on, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of the heavens. A few points here. The Lord says, upon this rock. What is this rock? Well, of course, the rock is Christ himself. But actually, the rock is the revelation concerning Christ. The revealed divine reality by the Spirit, through the Word. You confess Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then this revelation becomes revelation rock. Is there a rock in you? You need a rock. You can't be built on someone else's rock. This rock needs to be in the core of your being. Upon this rock, you need to appreciate Christ, recognize Christ, know Christ. By the Spirit's revelation through the Word, then you have a rock. And we know that Christ is the unique foundation. No other men may lay. Men can lay, but they're not allowed to lay. Then the Lord said, I will build. He's a builder. According to Hebrews 11, the city of God has God himself as the architect and builder. He is building. He is a church Building Christ. He is not building a mansion for you in the heavens to live with your resuscitated pets for eternity. He is building what he calls my church. My, my church. Right now, as Christ being omnipotent and omniscient, 
and omnipresent as he looks down and at St. Peter's Square. Would he say, that's my church? It is not. So many religious edifices have been built. Mega this, mega that have been established. But the Lord would never say, my church. Rather, your thing, your work, your kingdom. You wouldn't dare call it the church in. Because if it were the church in, then I would come into the church in and deal with everything in the house that I don't like because it's mine. But because it's yours, let it stay. You want to build something for your glory, for your name, for your reputation? Go ahead, Jeroboam. But I will build my church. Then the Lord went on to speak of the gates of Hades. This is the devil's power of death. Satan fears the church. He dreads the building up of the church. So he repeatedly attacks the church and the ministry that brings the saints into the realization concerning the church. And Satan's ultimate weapon is death. To spread death. And so many saints, even in the church life, are unwitting accomplices of the devil through their speaking of death. How many words have been spoken by all of us together since Friday afternoon, just in this place? Several hundred of us speaking thousands of words a day, How much life? What is the life-death ratio? So we should not be surprised that turmoils and shaking and problems come into the church life. Paradoxically, that can be a sign that this is the genuine church. In Ephesus, there was a Huge demonic turmoil in the city. It was irrational. That was the enemy's reaction to Paul's ministry. So the little incident we had in the lounge yesterday of a deranged person behaving in a threatening way, two or three people from me, I take as a sign that we are right on. And we will press on. But the Lord said, the gates of Hades shall not prevail. The gates of Hades are the power of death. 
But the Lord said, this power of death will not prevail. What does that imply? What does it indicate? It indicates that the church is built in the resurrection life of Christ. Because death prevails against everything other than God himself. For death not to prevail against the church that's built up by Christ means that the church is in resurrection. So we enjoy that splendid hymn in our hymnal. Death cannot hold the resurrection life. Wave after wave of death has come upon us. Our testimony is, death cannot prevail. It will never prevail. It doesn't mean it will never attack. Don't be an idealist looking for a perfect church, a church life utopia. If there's never any attack of the enemy, you're probably off. If you're in the pearl, the church being built up by Christ, the enemy from time to time in various ways will attack. But we stand on the Lord's word, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now the gates of Hades can prevail against isolated individuals if that's what you choose to be. But never against the builded church. Then one more matter. In verse 19, the Lord goes on to speak of the kingdom of the heavens. I give to you the keys of the kingdom of the heavens. The heavens bind, you bind. The heavens loose, you loose. Okay, two things here. First, the church is the kingdom of God today. And the authority of the kingdom of God is in and with the church. That's the dominion aspect. And then second, this indicates the responsibility of the church is to bring in the kingdom of the heavens in glorious manifestation in the coming age. The church must fight to bring in the kingdom. Satan fears this. If the church is built up, that will be the kingdom That church as the kingdom will exercise divine authority, binding and loosing, and will turn the age and bring in the kingdom. This is a great thing to be in such a church life. Building and fighting, eventually turning the age. The church in Matthew 16 is the one universal church, the body of Christ. The body of Christ transcends time and space. 
when the church as the body of Christ is expressed on the earth, it appears as local churches. And those local churches are local expressions of the body of Christ. Therefore, in Matthew 18, the Lord spoke about a brother's sins. You try to recover him, try to gain him. If he won't listen to you, bring two or three more. If he won't listen to them, tell it to the church. He didn't say a church. The The church in Matthew 18 is the local church about which we read in the verses from Revelation 1. This is the beginning regarding the church. Sadly, there has been departure, division, loss of vision, corruption, The mixture with the world. The invention of the clergy-laity system. The hierarchy. The religious formality. The influence of money. If you're new, has it struck you? No collection plate? No prayer to sanctify the money? No choir singing something sentimental while you put in, hopefully, the paper in the plate. Where did that come from? Was it that way in the beginning? One powerful testimony is, of of our practice is, we don't take up a collection. You may wonder, how do I give? I mean, don't you have expenses? Of course. We have to heat the meeting hall. We have to pay the electricity, the water. We have to maintain the facility. We have to support full-timers. But no one's hired. We have no Balaam hired by Balak to preach. If you really want to give, you'll... Find out where there's a box with a slot in the top and put something there, but we'll never put a plaque on the wall praising you for how much you gave. Where did that come from? So there is all this departure. Terrible. Therefore, the Lord needs a recovery of the church. This recovery is portrayed in type in the Old Testament. We see it with the return of the children of Israel to Jerusalem from their captivity. It was ordained by God that the temple would be built in His chosen place in Jerusalem. Actually, on Mount Moriah, which became Mount Zion. And the temple was built there. And the temple was destroyed because of the idolatry. 
And the people were scattered mainly to Babylon. It seemed that God was defeated. But according to the prophecy of Jeremiah, that became the prayer of Daniel, the Spirit moved through a changed world situation. And the proclamation was made. Go up, go up, build the house. And a few Israelites went back. This is the history, the facts of history, that are part of the picture. Why did they go back? For one reason. To rebuild God's house. And eventually, they rebuilt the city. This return from Babylon to Jerusalem involves four crucial matters. Each of these is part of the type, and each part of the type has its fulfillment and application today. Okay, first, they return to the ground of oneness. Babylon signifies division. They return to the ground of oneness. To have the proper standing to build God's house. Okay, second, they return to the good land, which typifies the riches of the all-inclusive Christ. They did not simply come back to the ground of oneness. They came back to the enjoyment of the riches of Christ, typified by the produce of the good land in Deuteronomy chapter 8. That is why our return to the ground of oneness is accompanied by the experience and enjoyment of Christ. And when the Israelites returned, they brought the vessels of gold and silver that had been taken out of the temple and placed in the idolatrous temple in Babylon. Those vessels signify our experiences of Christ. They belong in the church. Then third, they rebuilt the house, the temple, signifying the church as the house of God and the body of Christ. And fourth, they reestablished the kingdom. So you have oneness, the enjoyment of Christ, the building of the house, and the kingdom. Once we have these four things, God's original intention can be fulfilled. Do you remember his original intention as defined this morning? God's original intention is to have a corporate man expressing him in his image and representing him with his dominion. At the time of Solomon, there was image 
and dominion there. Degradation came in, division came in, confusion came in, everything was lost. Now there's the recovery. Go back to the ground of oneness. Enjoy the riches of the good land. Build the house and then build the city to reestablish the kingdom. Now there's the oneness, the experience and enjoyment of Christ, the building of the house, and the kingdom. Now God has a corporate man to express him in his image and to represent him with his dominion, with his authority. I hope you can see something. First, of the revelation given by the Lord in Matthew 16, of what was in his heart in the beginning. Then as we traced it Saturday night in the Lord's Day morning, the deformation of this and the formation of Christianity, which cannot be reconciled with the Lord's recovery. In order to fulfill his original intention, the Lord must recover at least a remnant of his people to the ground of the oneness of the church, to the experience of Christ, to the building up of the house, and to the kingdom life. This is the Lord's recovery. We need to know the Lord's recovery in this way. It's the return to the oneness. It's the return to the all-inclusive Christ. It is the return to the building up of God's house. It is the return to the kingdom life. And this is first for God. The Israelites didn't go back for their economic well-being. Many of them were well-established in Babylon. They had 70 years to get rooted there to establish businesses, set up synagogues. That's probably where the synagogue system began. They had their families there, a network of relations there. And many of them went back at a cost. And when the foundation was laid, some rejoiced, the foundation of the temple was laid, some rejoiced and others wept. The older ones who had seen that original temple, maybe now in their 80s, they rejoiced, they wept. The foundation is laid. And the temple eventually was built, although there was much frustration, and many of the saints got distracted. So Haggai the prophet came and said, Why do you live in your paneled houses while my house lies waste. Therefore I declare a drought upon you. Some saints in the Lord's recovery are living under a drought. It may take the form of their finances or the form of other things. And this drought has been declared by God himself. You have a bag with holes. You earn wages You put it in the bag, but there are holes in the bag. And some saints never inquire. They may never ask, why is this? 
is because you're distracted from my house to your little house, your little family unit, your little us. I will not bless it. You think you will save everything this way. Actually, you're on track to lose everything. The Lord's recovery is for my house. But after a wave of attack, a kind of passivity can set in. Then the saints shift their attention to their own things, not the things of Christ Jesus, to their own house. Oh, my house. My, my little family unit as the goal of my life. Where's the pearl? Where's the house? Where's the kingdom? And you want to dream about being an overcomer? Dream on! Dream on! Eventually you'll wake up too late from your dream. The recovery is for the house, for the kingdom, based on the oneness and the experience of Christ. Now I'm aware it's 1045, But I think we have time to read through the outline. And I hope that as we read, and I'm thankful for the, for the focus in the meeting, we prayed for this, the bus will be there. Your luggage is okay. You will get home today. The airport will be there. Eventually I'll get a plane, go to Atlanta. Right now, I'm not traveling anywhere Right now, I'm burdened for the practice of the church. I believe the points now, in light of just about an hour of burden speaking, will be quite enlightening. One, the center of God's economy is Christ. By God's economy... We mean God's plan and arrangement to dispense himself into us, to make us his corporate expression. That's God's economy. The center of God's economy is Christ. And the goal of God's economy is the body of Christ, which is the intrinsic significance of the church. So we have the center, we have the goal. The Lord's recovery is the recovery of the center and the goal. So, are you at the center? What's your center? You notice point after point, I step out of doctrine into your situation, because the whole burden is that we would know the recovery intrinsically, experientially, organically. We all need to declare, my center is Christ. I am not the center. I am not the center. Christ is the center. And the goal of God's economy is my goal. 
That is the body of Christ. Okay, two, the divine economy is God's eternal plan to dispense Christ into his chosen and redeemed people to produce, constitute, and build up the organic body of Christ. In these two points, we emphasize God's economy. In a very real sense, the Lord's recovery is the recovery of God's economy. To know the Lord's recovery is to know God's economy. To be in the Lord's recovery is to be in God's economy. And to be in God's economy is to be under the divine dispensing. So it's good to meet with the local church in your city and say, I'm in the recovery. I go to the so-called recovery church. I'm in the recovery. But speaking frankly, you're not in the recovery. I said frankly, you're not in the recovery the way I'm in the recovery. You're in the recovery outwardly, superficially. We need to be in the Lord's recovery intrinsically with our whole being. So we just open, it's not hard, just open your being as a vessel and pray, Lord, dispense yourself into me all day today. The bus broke down on the way here. Lord, I'm sorry that I lost that time. My being wasn't open for divine dispensing. I don't pray for a breakdown on the way back, but there is a breakdown. If there's a bottleneck on the freeway, I want to recognize that as a dispensing time. Lord, I want to get home in time. I want to do this or that. But Lord, I don't want to miss you because I may never have another bus breakdown in my whole life. I may never have an opportunity. Some of us need to mourn a little bit of how many thousands of opportunities we lost to experience the divine dispensing. But the Lord arranges everything, and I don't say this lightly, because some of the arrangements are hard to take for his dispensing. You receive his dispensing, you're in his economy, and because you're in his economy, you're in his recovery with Christ as the center and the body as the goal. What a life! Tomorrow, no holiday tomorrow. Back to work. Back to the routine. Outwardly, we live this ordinary human life. But if you have a center, if you have a goal, and if you're in the dispensing, you are in the Lord's recovery all the time. No matter where you are or what you're doing. Three, the universal body of Christ is both the universal house of God and the kingdom of God. The house is for expression. The kingdom is for representation. Four, the universal body of Christ appears in various cities 
as local churches. With one city having only one church in order to keep the oneness and prevent division. The first part of this statement is crucial, especially. The universal body of Christ appears in various cities as local churches. In 1 Corinthians 1-2, Paul addresses the church of God, which is in Corinth. In chapter 12, verse 27, he says of that church, with all the saints who call upon the name of the Lord, you are the body of Christ. What does that mean? The Lord does not have many bodies, body in Jacksonville, body in Charlotte. There's one body. But this one body is expressed as local churches. Because those local churches are local expressions of the body, Paul says, and we echo his word, you in that locality are the body of Christ. But actually, you're not the whole body. You're part of the body, a local expression of the body. To be in a local church is not only to be in something local, To be in the local church, which is an expression of the body, is to be in the life and fellowship of the universal body of Christ. We all need to see this. Five, the local churches are scattered in different places by geography. Yet they are not divided by any doctrine or matter. Don't you sense the peace here? The harmony here? I've been to Miami, to Gainesville, to Tampa, to Jacksonville, to Atlanta, to Charlotte. They're all the same. They're in different places geographically because we live in different places geographically. But geography does not divide the churches in the southeast. This is a great blessing to you. And the southeast is not an isolated region. It's not somebody's kingdom. There's no bishop here managing everything. The workers here, there's a co-worker here, serving in the body by the Lord's arrangement, but no bishop So there's no division between Anaheim and Atlanta. Between Atlanta and Austin. Between Austin and Miami. Between Miami and Bellevue. Between Bellevue and London, England. Between London and Moscow. Between Moscow and Bangkok. Between Bangkok and Cali, Colombia. Between Cali and Mexico City. We're geographically separate. But we're not divided. No doctrine and no matter divides us. And no person divides us. Uh, You don't know how blessed you are 
to be under the leadership of pure and faithful brothers who are faithful in their local responsibilities and who live in the fellowship of the body of Christ and are one with the ministry and one with the Lord's move in his body, yet live out a practical church life day by day. You're so blessed. There's no prince here. There's no king here. You're not a division. Florida, there's a peninsula jutting out there into the Gulf of Mexico. It appears to be an autonomous region. It's not. In the body of Christ, there are no boundaries. There's no geographical separation. Six, the unique church of God is expressed as many local churches throughout the whole globe. Yet, they are still the unique body of Christ and should not be divided into sects or denominations. So, I come from California to the southeast. I don't have to get a visa. I don't have to get permission. I don't have to send an email somewhere and say, am I allowed? Am I permitted? Will there be a a check at the border when I come into Florida? Am I I in your territory? No. The whole earth is the Lord's. The elders and the co-workers don't own anything. Seven. Among the churches, there are the apostles who set up the churches. And in every church, there are also elders who manage the church and deacons who serve the church. However... Besides the order of these holy services, there should not be any hierarchy, that is, religious organization or system of rank. Some sisters in Anaheim, many, many years ago, they had their concept of building and who was in and who was out, and among themselves they had a rank. And in one particular meeting, a series of meetings, they were sitting in the meeting in rank until Brother Lee openly touched it and broke it up. The majority of those sisters, having a kind of spiritual cancer, would not accept the Lord's touching And eventually, they left. They sacrificed themselves for the health of the body. And it took the church years to recover from that spiritual leukemia. But praise the Lord, the church in Anaheim is fully recovered. No hierarchy. Sometimes new ones come in, they're looking for the so-called New Testament church. And they have an outward view, okay? Do you have apostles who are the apostles? Where are the elders and this and that? That's alien to the body. Does my nose have to say, I'm the nose? 
Please recognize my nostrils and my function. No, we just are what we are by the grace of God. So I'll give you the answer to your unspoken question. What am I? My answer is 1 Corinthians 15.10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. That's my answer. We don't wear signs. We don't demand a certain kind of, what, appreciation. There's no rank. There's no hierarchy. There's no system. There's no pope. No cardinals. No archbishops. No bishops. Just us. But, according to the New Testament, there are the apostles, there are the elders and the deacons. But that is not a hierarchy. These are the offices ordained by God for the church life. Eight, although the local churches in various localities are many, they all take the eternal economy of God as their center to bear the unique testimony of Christ not teaching any doctrine that is unrelated to the eternal economy of God and has nothing to do with the testimony of Christ. In the New Testament, there is no local teaching. There is only the apostles' teaching, which is the same in every church. So in Jacksonville, there is no local teaching. Do you have a local God? What about a local spirit? Do you have a local spirit? A local Christ? Do you have a local Bible? Ridiculous. Most things are not local. Therefore, the whole body. And the body will not tolerate some kind of unhealthy, peculiar teaching unrelated to God's economy. Nine. In these local churches, there should be righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit as the reality of the kingdom of God. So let's just do a little check. Without being subjective and introspective, let's do a little check concerning the kingdom. Are you exercised to be righteous? I would say you are. You know you are. You pay attention to your conscience. I know you do. And when you make mistakes, you confess. And you seek forgiveness, and you're forgiven, and you're cleansed. And you have peace. Aren't you at peace? Right now. Whoever's at peace, say amen. Amen. Isn't that wonderful, to be at peace? But what about joy? Joy. Joy in the Holy Spirit. You don't have to stop at peace. If you're not happy inwardly, I don't mean in your soul over outward things. We do suffer in our soul. But if there is no joy in you, something other than God is ruling you. Could be your mood, it could be your opinion. 
could be your strange kind of mind. And so you're not causing any outward problems and you're not stealing and you're not lying. And you have peace. But where's the joy? When we're ruled by the Lord, we not only have righteousness and peace, we have joy in the Holy Spirit. Actually, the genuine church life in the Spirit is the happiest place on earth. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. So I got help of my wife several years ago, as only wives can do, and as only this particular wife can do. She would say, Ron, you're being robbed of so much enjoyment of the Lord. I wasn't happy, and I thought, well, that's because I'm bearing the cross, so I associate misery with cross-bearing. But that was a religious concept. I realized it's because I wasn't taking the cross that I wasn't happy. So myself, being a killjoy, was killing my joy. And I frankly protested and rebelled against the kingdom of Satan. I refused to be robbed of my enjoyment of the Lord. And now on the last day of being 66... I can testify to you, I have much more joy than when I was 26. And if the Lord gives me long life for the sake of his ministry, then may I be able to testify at 76, at 86, at 96. I have so much more joy when I was a young fella of 66. Claim your joy as your birthright. Joy is not for the young. Joy is not for the beginners. Joy is for all of us. It's in the kingdom of God. In the last section, or in the last two sections, we need to know what our practice is under today's divisive and confusing degradation of Christianity. We do not and should not Participate in the Catholic heresy, the Protestant denominations, and any kind of free groups of Christians, but we recognize and receive the individual believers in Christ who believe in the Lord, redeemed by his blood, and regenerated by the Holy Spirit, who are not factious, not making divisions, not worshiping idols, nor living in sin. Long as we don't, you don't have those things, we recognize and receive, even if they are still related to any one of the above listed divisions. We don't interrogate you. If you're with a denomination, if you're with the Catholic Church, and you want to be here, we welcome you. We'd welcome the Pope, if the Pope is a brother. I don't know if he is or not. I have my doubts about this one, but I don't know. The Lord knows. We don't require you to leave where you are. But we are separated from the system, but we're not divided from the believers. We are one with all the believers who are in the Lord's recovery throughout the world. We do not have any creed. We have only the unique Bible, properly translated and interpreted by and according to the Bible itself. 
We never base any teaching on an isolated verse. We understand the Bible by the Bible, and every teaching is based upon a number of scriptures. Then the last section. In order to keep the unique oneness of the universal body of Christ, we need to be blended together. We blend together. There's nothing better. The word blended means adjusted, harmonized, tempered, and mingled, implying the losing of distinctions. Blending requires us to be crossed out and to be by the Spirit to dispense Christ for the sake of his body. Among us, we should have the blending of all the individual members of the body of Christ, the blending of all the churches in certain districts, the blending of all the co-workers, and the blending of all the elders. This is the teaching we have received. We say amen. Amen. All the believers, all the churches, all the co-workers, and all the elders, anyone who refuses to be blended is not in the reality of the body of Christ. And in a very real sense, is not intrinsically in the Lord's recovery. Such a blending is not social, but the blending of the very Christ whom the individual members, the district churches, the co-workers, and the elders enjoy, experience, and partake of. Then the last point brings us to the ultimate consummation. This blending is for the building up of the universal body of Christ to consummate the new Jerusalem as the final goal of God's economy according to his good pleasure. To know this is to know the Lord's recovery. Praise him. Now, when we have the prophesying, it would be very good that most of the speaking be done by those who haven't spoken yet. We will not make this a legality. You know, if you spoke in the first meeting and the Lord leads you to speak in this meeting. But let us give place to those who haven't spoken yet. And those who haven't spoken yet need to be a little quicker to obey the Spirit. Because he may prompt you, sister. So exercise your faith. So let's pray a little bit. Then we'll prophesy 30 seconds each. Amen.